How about that? Sweet. All right. Uh, Workday here at Livingstone, we'd love to have you come join us as we're continuing to kind of clean up things around our facilities and um, just take care of what the Lord has given to us. And at the same time, we need your prayers as we're continuing to pray about and think about the direction the Lord is taking us as far as facility-wise. The parsonage is sold, and I just got to share a cool story. So, so this is a cool story. So I like cool stories. Cool stories. Last year, with the last week with the missionaries, I was reminding how important stories are to, to share and to tell with others. So cool story. So we sell the parsonage. It like sells in six days. We get the asking price and it's as is. Okay. How many times have you sold a home like as is asking price? I've never done that, but it was really cool that happened to us as a church family. Well, the gentleman who bought it rented it out. And the gentleman who rented it is is now employed by Dave Harkey. Dave's right here. Say hi, Dave. Hi, Dave. Hi, Dave. Thank you. Jeez. We are a friendly bunch, okay? Um, <laughs> and so Dave hires this guy from California, and this guy from California gets where he's living. And he's right here with us this morning. Say hi. Hi. Good morning. There we go. Isn't that cool? Come on now. That's just really cool how God works that out. And Glenn, he wants to get involved with music, so I'm just throwing that out there. Where you guys look up later. So just saying, hey, awesome. So this, I love cool stories like that. You're like, man, God, you're really cool how you just worked that all out. That was amazing. So we're going to Matthew 23 this morning, Matthew 23. And we're going to kind of read through this as we talk through it this morning. It's a lot to read up front and then go back through. So we're going to read through it as we go through it together. Um, we're continuing in Matthew 23, which is these woes. The, these edicts of judgment against, um, pronouncements of judgment against the Pharisees and the scribes. But what's very interesting is in verse 1 of chapter 23, it says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples. Now that's one of those lines that when we're reading through our Bible, we'll quickly glance over and move on. It's really important, though, when you understand that he is saying these things and his target audience is who? The disciples in the crowd. But wait a minute. He keeps saying, woe to the Pharisees and scribes, you hypocrites. He keeps saying, what? He is making a very big point to his disciples and to the crowds that their heart need not be like the heart of the Pharisees and the scribes. So in verse 23, we pick this up. There are seven total woes. We're going to cover the last four. Buckle up. Here we go. Starting in verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat, swallowing a camel father god i thank you for your word thank you for how you challenge us with it lord god how you want us to draw close to you you want us to have a heart that is for you please father god draw us close to you this morning and convict us in jesus name we pray by the power of the holy spirit amen well, what's going on here? We got these Pharisees and these scribes and these Pharisees that Jesus is, is talking about. And, and if you were back in those days, these Pharisees and these scribes were the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders of the day. They were prominent people. They were people you wouldn't mess with. Now, anybody from a Roman Catholic background? 
a few folks, okay? So you have a greater understanding kind of the power and position that the Pharisees and the scribes have than most of us Protestant Christians today. Because we hire and fire pastors like we use toilet paper, right? So, you know, but that doesn't take place in the Roman Catholic Church. Okay? In the Roman Catholic Church, there is the the bishops and the priests that, that oversee the Catholic Church, the cardinals, and there's power and position. You would not walk up to the Pope and speak disrespectfully. These are people in great prominent power and position. Well, the Pharisees and the scribes were people of great prominence and power and position. It is how people understood and learned what they were supposed to do and how to live within the Jewish circles. Because you didn't, you gotta understand, the, the Jews back then didn't walk around carrying the Old Testament with them. They didn't have a copy of the Old Testament that they could go home and read and teach their children. They relied upon the scribes and the Pharisees to understand what, how they were supposed to live for God. And so these people had great power and authority over the Jews. And Jesus is blasting them. Why? Is it because their actions were so wrong? No, these, these people actually did a lot of good things. These were a moral people. These were people that, you know, you would want to probably have as your neighbor because they would by the, be forced by the law to, to do things for you. Now, they may not like you, but they would do it because they were forced to by the law. They were moral people. But Jesus is blasting them because they are not a holy people. Their heart has not been changed by God. And he says to them here, this first part, you tithe mint and dill and cumin. Now, what is mint, dill, cumin? Well, how many cooks we got in here? A few cooks? Like three. Okay. The rest of us starve during the week. Okay. Um, so, so I brought some spices. We like a lot of garlic in our house. And, and so we, you know, use a lot of garlic and, and, and ground nutmeg. And, 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 oh, I love nutmeg. I'm a big nutmeg fan. I'm a Christmas guy, so nutmeg all. And, and cumin, of course, right here, right? So could you imagine coming and saying, okay, I am so devoted to my relationship with God that I'm not just going to tithe, give back to God my money and my time, but I'm going to my spice rack, okay? And I'm going to break out my spice rack, and I'm going to sit here, and, and I'm going I'm to tithe out 10% of all my spices and, and, and bring those before God and for God's use and kingdom. And if you saw somebody do that, you would think, boy, that's a really, that's a righteous person. I mean, they're taking this so seriously. They're going to the spice rack, pulling out the spices and tithing 10% of their spices to God. It's going to smell like garlic up here for a while. I probably <laughs> chosen something else. <laughs> but instead of them being a righteous people, these people struggled with their hearts and what they were giving. You know, here they are giving of their tithes. I mean, these are the individuals that when they would have written a check, like if they would have existed today, when we packed the bucket around, their check would have been probably the largest check in the offering plate, and they would have folded it in such a manner that when it passed by you, you would have seen the dollar amount and probably felt guilty because you weren't giving enough. I mean, that's the Pharisees and the scribes. They wanted everybody to know what they were doing and how righteous they were and how their deeds were being done. And Jesus is saying, don't look to them and their deeds and their actions and think that they're a holy people because they're not, because they have neglecting something that's more important. 
Not that tithing was not important, not that we shouldn't tithe, but rather Jesus is saying they're being completely void of justice and mercy and faithfulness. These people would rather tithe and give of their tithe and and give of their monies to people and to help other people out rather than give of themselves. Because their heart hasn't been changed by God. They don't love the way they're supposed to love. They don't care the way they're supposed to care. They don't execute justice. Now, when we hear the word justice, some of us can kind of recoil a little bit. It's one of those judgment words that we kind of like to steer clear of. But what Jesus is getting after is when the Pharisees and the scribes issued justice on other people, it was completely void of love. It had everything to do with the letter of the law. But it didn't have, have any desire to see these people repent and confess and run to the fold of God again. It had everything to do with condemnation and condemning people. That was their justice in saying, Jesus is that ain't, Jesus is saying that ain't justice. That's completely void of justice. That's completely void of mercy. What about faithfulness? Faithfulness to one another, faithfulness to God, having a heart that desires to please God and be obedient to God, draw near to God. These guys are completely void of that. They just want to do the action so they can check the box. Please, let me just check the box. It's so much easier, and it is. If you think about it, it's so much easier to just check the box when helping out with people. It's easier sometimes to write a check, and here you go, bye, don't want to see you again. Than it is to join in with people and saying, what is your real need? How can I really be present with you, walk alongside of you, care for you, be a part of your life? Jesus saying, you know what? I'm not telling you to neglect the tithe for these things, but they should be both hand in hand so that when you give of your tithe, you're giving it with an attitude and the heart that Christ had intended. Care for one another, be present in each other's lives. I would love to say that that's something that only the Pharisees and the scribes struggled with back then. But I think we see in churches today, this is still continuing on. We'd we'd rather do the easy action and and take care of it. And sometimes it's not so easy, but we'd rather do this this action rather than get involved in relationship with each other's lives. It's a lot easier to get people at a distance and do things for them. Well, I helped so-and-so move, or I, I helped so-and-so, I gave them so much for gas, or, hey, they were hungry, and they were sick, and I brought them some food. I, I, I've done these great things for them. Well, what's their husband's name? I have no idea, but they've got food to eat. Who's sick? What are they sick from? I don't know, but they're okay now. Well, why do they need gas? Well, I really don't know. I didn't have time to ask. I was, you know, it's a lot easier just to do things rather than to engage people and join in their lives and form relationships with them. The Pharisees and the scribes were happy to, to tithe, to obey the letter of that law rather than join in relationship with others. Relationships are tough. Relationships with not yet believers, sometimes we, we join a relationship with not yet believers because, and maybe some of you are here this morning, you're not yet a believer. You're not trusted in Jesus Christ. And maybe you felt this way, that we join in relationship with not yet believers, and if they don't, they don't progress the way we feel that they should progress in their journey with God, then we give up on them and we withdraw. We get frustrated with the angry, and all of a sudden we stop calling, we stop talking to them because they're like, what happened? I thought we were friends. I thought you loved me. 
No, they were a project rather than a person to be loved. Relationships are tough, tough with each other as Christians. May, and I've said this before, probably some of the harder relationships for me as a not yet believer. I don't have a lot of expectation of their, their understanding of God and what they're supposed to do. But with Christians, I think we get a little frustrated with each other because like, aren't you a Christian? You know, aren't you supposed to know how you're supposed to act and treat one another? And we get frustrated with each other. And instead of drawing close to one another and working through hard times, we often abandon relationships with each other way too fast. We walk away from each other. We hurt relationships. And hey, this is America. You got churches on like every street corner almost, right? I don't like so-and-so, I can move on. I want to say this caveat this morning, though. This is America, and a lot of churches are going by the wayside. Denominations are choosing to forsake the teaching of the Word of God so that they can become acceptable to the views of man. And those churches, I pray for either repentance and confession and return to God or an end to them because they're hurting people's faith. And if the people are part of those, I'm... I'm all for them leaving and going to a church that once again teaches the word of God and stands upon it. But oftentimes we don't leave churches over that. Oftentimes we forsake relationships with one another just because it got too hard or we didn't want to put the effort into it. Jesus is telling the scribes and the uh, the disciples that the scribes and Pharisees are all about actions but not about having a heart relationship with each other. We need to care for one another. We need to be merciful, exercise justice and faithfulness before each other, and not neglect these things. You see, Jesus calls us to the harder things and to the better things. Goes on here. If you want to go next slide, oh, if you can go to the next slide, on at least go to please. Next one, please. My uh, iPad is not working this morning. Sweet. Some of you may see that slide and go, all together. What in the world is all together? How many of you know someone that every time they leave the house, even if it's just to walk out to the mailbox and get the mail, they're pristine? Like every hair is in place. They are at the right outfit on. It matches the socks, everything, right? And they're walking out. And every time we see them, man, man they have got it all together, Right? We look at that person like, man, I can't even like, I don't care how many times I try to look that good. I mean, but they just seem like they got it all together. Well, that was the Pharisees and the scribes. These, these people, when they walked out of their house, they had exactly the right robe at the, for the right day of the week. And they were participating in all the right festivals with all the right actions. They, they, they walked exactly the right amount of steps on the Sabbath. They never, I mean, if people around them saw the Pharisees and the scribes, they were like, man, they've got it all together. And this is what Jesus has to say about the Pharisees and the scribes all togetherness. I made that word up right there. You like that? Okay. Another isms. Here we go. Verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may be clean also. Now, how many of you all let your kids do the dishes? You can relate to this experience I'm going to talk about. Okay. 
as you're reading this, you may actually get a visible picture of one time you pulled the plate out of the cupboard. It looked clean. You put the bowl or bowl down and you poured yourself some cereal and a little milk in it only to discover you have floaties in your milk. Any? Only in my house? Really? Okay. <laughs> oh, the kids are like, you know, they unload the dishwasher. It looks clean on the outside. And they're like, we got 25,000 other things that I want to do today. Unloading the dishwasher is the lowest of my priority. I got to get this done. And so they don't think to check the what they're putting away they just put it away well i'm telling you what i am an army guy i probably will eat the bowl of cereal my wife will not okay this is gross i can't who and the boys are going to get a chewing of the girls or whoever put the dishes away about not checking the bowls that it's gross you don't want to eat out of a dirty dish that's disgusting Well, the Pharisees, it's gross. The Pharisees and the scribes, here they are on the outside. The appearance was was clean and pristine, and everybody thinks, I need to be like them. I need to act like them. I need to talk like them. I need to live my life like them. But Jesus is saying what you're not seeing is that on the inside, they're gross. They're disgusting. They're unclean. I love it when Jesus does some of these woes. He first gives them this, and he brings it here at this level, and then he goes to this level, and that's exactly what he does with verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead bones, people's dead bones and all uncleanness. So, You also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, when you think of tombs, we don't see this practice in the United States much, but still in the Middle East, there's still some practices of this, not much. The rich are more this way. Out of like a rock will be hewn a tomb. Or there'll be a underground, but there'll be a big open bunker area within which a whole family or kings or wealthy people will be laid to rest all together in this tomb. Well, what Jesus is saying to the scribes and Pharisees, let me, let me give you a better illustration, the cup and bowl thing. Some of you may think, well, a dirty bowl's not that bad. Let's raise it up a notch so you'll clearly get the picture. You're like a whitewashed tomb. On the outside of the tomb, it's beautiful, it's clean, it's spotless. They took the buffers to it, shined the rock, okay, made it look beautiful. They, they got the bedazzler out. They made little designs with the bedazzler, right? They, they took gemstones and rhinestones and made the outside just gorgeous that everybody walks by has to go, oh, look at that. But what do they say? That's a beautiful tomb. place of death and for the jews unclean you pharisees you scribes you're a bunch of walking tombs unclean you are a place of death you may speak and you may talk but it's completely void your actions are completely void everything you're doing is leading you to death Because you're trying to earn righteousness with God. You're trying to earn brownie points with God. You're trying to earn a right standing with God by obeying the law. But your heart is unchanged by God. And you are dead. And let me tell you something this morning. 
If you are here this morning and you have not trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have not surrendered your heart to him and said, Lord, I am a sinner and I sin against you and I confess that I can have no forgiveness for my sin apart from you, would you please take my sin and I want to trust in you and believe in you and have you reign in my heart as Lord and as King and as Master? If you've never done that, then you're like the Pharisees walking around. You're trying to do right things, be a moral person. You're trying to say the right things and act the way people you think people want you to act. Or, or you know, you're doing all righteous, you know, giving to the poor, you're giving to the hungry, you're helping people out with gas. You know, you're, you're, you're a good employee, you're, you're a moral person, you're, you're, you're ethical. And you think that because you're that person that you're going to have right standing with God. And then when Jesus returns, he's going to say, come into my kingdom. But he's not. He's going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. Because all those actions are scubula. Which is really cool because I can say a bad word in Greek and nobody knows it and I won't get fired. Okay? But if I was to say the direct correlation in English, people would bristle. Trash, refuse, dung. That's what those deeds are. Paul said, you think you've done good things? Check my life out. I'm the king of good deeds. You ain't got nothing on me, but it's all garbage. Jesus Christ, his changing my heart and my life is the only thing that matters. doesn't matter if you have the appearance of all together. We live in a day in a world where people act like they've got it all together. Religiously, they have an answer for everything. They never show they're hurting. They never show that they have lack of faith. You walk up to them every single day is great. How's your relationship with something wonderful? How's your walk with God amazing? All together. They got it all together. And yet, they fail to understand. We fail to understand because there are times that we've all done that. We've all been guilty of that. Jesus came to save the broken, not the altogether. The altogether don't need Jesus. They're just fine on their own. But the broken recognize there are times that we lack faith. There are times that we get ourselves involved in sin. There are times that we disobey God. But instead of being a repentant people, we struggle with feeling like, I can't repent of this. I can't talk about this. I can't confess this. Because if I do, then other people will know me as a sinner instead of a Christian. Wait a minute. Christians are sinners saved by God. You see, this place is a hospital. This place, Livingstone Church, exists for the broken. And if you're not a broken person, or if you don't want to need God, then this really is going to be an uncomfortable place for you. Because I'm going to be pretty bold and pretty open about my brokenness. Because I think, I know that that's what God wants us to be, completely reliant on Him. Everything that I want to do is because of Him, and not because of me and my actions. Because I want to earn right standing with God. I don't have it all together. My wife and my kids will be the first ones to testify. I'm in need of the grace of God. 
Why are we so slow to confess and repent of our brokenness, our faithlessness, our disobedience? We're afraid. We're afraid of what other people will think. We're afraid we'll disappoint. But I think bottom line, it's pride. Do we really want to turn from our sin and pursue God? We'd rather stay in our sin than to pursue the Lord. And when we do so as believers in Jesus Christ, we represent not a heart that's alive, but a heart that's dying and dead. Christ died to give us new life in him, abundant life in him. Freedom from the sin of law and death. Oh. He wanted his disciples to understand that. Not to be a people walking around with masks, but a people who repent and confess and know that it is by the grace of God that we have a relationship with God. Nothing that we've ever done. The Pharisees and the scribes didn't need Jesus. Their deeds and their actions and their mind was more than enough. They had it all together. I challenge you this week as we continue to go through this text that you take a look at your heart and ask yourself, am I faking the funk? If you're a parent, you know what the number one gift you can give your kids besides staying together as mom and dad? The number one gift you can give as your parents is to demonstrate a life of repentance and confession. That it's okay for them to know that you're not perfect and you don't have all the answers. But you serve a God that does. And you desperately need him. And they desperately need him. He goes on to the final woe. Jesus speaks. And he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some of you will flog in the synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. <laughs> the scribes and the Pharisees said, oh, 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 we're righteous people. If, if Zechariah, the prophet, would have appeared to us, we would have had him over for dinner. We'd have been hanging out. We'd have been chummy. We'd have walked the streets together as he told everybody they're going to hell. We'd have hung out. We wouldn't have killed him. In fact, Abel, are you kidding me? If, if, if I was Cain, I'd have been, oh, you're right. My sacrifice wasn't righteous. Let me, let me change my heart and repent and confess. And I would, have, I would have joined Abel in offering up righteous sacrifices, holy sacrifices to God. 
That's what the Pharisees and the scribes were sitting here saying. And Jesus is like, you bunch of liars. You fail to understand your own sin and your own brokenness because you're so fixated on your righteous, what you consider righteous and moral deeds. You point to those things. Anytime anybody asks you where at with God, I must be in good standing because look what I've done. And they keep a good list and they'll tell you about their list quite often and quite regularly because they want you to know how moral and good of people they are. And Jesus is saying, you are on your way to hell because your heart has never been changed. I actually heard somebody once say, man, I wish I would have lived during the time of Christ. Because when Pilate brought Jesus out and the crowd started to crucify him, I would have joined Pilate up on the stage and I would have said, no, he's a righteous man and I would have silenced the crowds. Besides being pretty arrogant, A person fails to understand the depth of their own sin and depravity. I have come to realize in my walk with the Lord that if I had lived during the time of Christ and I had been part of that crowd, my voice would have been the loudest. Crucify him. I don't want self-righteousness. I want God's righteousness. Self-righteousness means I have a heart hardened against God and I'm trying to prove my way to heaven. And quite frankly, when I think about that, that's just exhausting and pointless. The righteousness Christ gives to me when I surrender my life to him is free, is light, uplifting and it's encouraging and it's pure and it's everlasting we live in a day and age in a world that speaks of the word of God and a relationship with Jesus as something that's a burden you'll hear you'll talk to not yet believers or you'll even talk to some believers And they'll talk about reading the word of God as if it's something laborious. Something that's weighty and and toiling and and, and something that, that burdens you and wears you down. But it's not. This is a book of abundant life. This is a book about freedom, about hope. You see, when we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and we live in according to God's word, the life that he has for us is abundant. It's amazing and it's life-giving and it's beautiful. And we of all people as Christians, as children of God, need to bring that message to the world that to live for Jesus means I have hope, I have peace, I have joy, I have love, I have relationships that matter, that my wife and I can go through hard times, that I can have relationships with other people and not be fearful. I can open my heart to others and not feel I have to self-justify. I can live openly with an open heart that recognizes that I'm a sinner and that Christ died for my sins and I can repent and I confess and I don't have to act like I've got it all together. I don't have to tell others about how righteous I am or all the good deeds that I've done because my God in heaven has made it all available to me to have hope and life in him and I do them unto him and not unto anybody else. 
And that's this book sets us free. But when I hear Christians talk about the Word of God, sometimes I think that they're more burdened by the Word of God than they are set free by it. We need to change our minds and our perspective on that. And especially in today's day and age, we got two knuckleheads for politicians that are running for president. Right? Who should be the loudest voice right now? Christians. Because Christians should be saying, I don't care who becomes president. My God is in control. He's the king upon the throne. And as Christians, we should be praying for our nations. How, but how do we pray? Thy will be done. May your kingdom come. Matthew 6, right? Pray this way. Well, guess what? For Christ's kingdom to come, and we're going to study this in Matthew 24 next week. Woohoo! It's going to get hot in here. Matthew 24. We're going to understand that for the kingdom to come, things are going to get a lot worse. Yet our God is in control. And our God causes nations to rise and nations to fall. And yes, even good old USA. And us as believers get the opportunity to say, great is our God. And he is in control. And I don't have to be despondent. I don't have to be fearful. I don't have to be worried. I don't have to get stressed out over CNN, Fox News, and blah, blah, blah. Because my God is in control. I pray for my nation, but I pray for it in a way that glorifies my God. We, of all people, need to be a people of hope. A people who proclaim the word of God as life-giving and as abundant. But you're not going to know that unless you spend some time in it. Even in this passage, the seven woes. Yay, that's uplifting, right? Whoa, hypocrites. Ah, right? You're like, but even in this, Jesus is saying, I want you to have a heart for me. I'm going to show you what you shouldn't do. I'm going to show you what it shouldn't look like, but I want you to have a heart for me. And to have a heart for me is life-giving. It's abundant. It's free. You're not having to worry about all these things. What is the cry of a holy heart? Great question. Glad you asked. Let's take a look. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Jesus is now going to move from talking about the scribes and Pharisees to the town of Jerusalem, which kind of um, encompasses all of Israel. Jerusalem was the place of worship for Israel to come. So when he speaks of Jerusalem, he's speaking of not just the city, but the people. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? I mean, what a great picture. This is the justice, mercy, and faithfulness of our God. He desires to draw Israel together and bring them together close to him. But the problem is, it says right here, but you and you were not willing. You're so busy trying to justify the the fact that you don't need me instead of drawing into me. 
See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you that you will not see me again until you say. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The cry of the holy heart is a cry that desires to draw near and know the Lord. Lord, I want you to come back right now. I want to be in your presence. And I I get it. As, as Christians, I hear people talk about the streets of gold and heaven and what heaven's going to be like. And, and we get we get the mansions. And, I you know, kids love to talk about that stuff. And then sometimes as adults, we do too. But the, the longer I'm a Christian, the more... I, I just want to be Jesus. I mean, all that other stuff is gravy, but just being with Jesus. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is our Savior. That is our King. That is King Jesus coming back and to, to take us home. And I just want to be with him. And I used to think my mom and dad were nuts. Mom and dad are here with us again this morning. Thanks for being here. We started painting the scout yesterday. We're so excited. My mom and dad used to tell us when we were kids, I just can't wait for Jesus to come back. I just want to be with Jesus. You know, I was a kid. I was like, that's great for you. But hey, I want to own a house someday. I want to have a car. I mean, a motorcycle. Come on. I'm going to have a wife. I'm going to have kids. I want to experience all these things. I'm not ready for all that, you know, Jesus coming back stuff. Telling you what. I get it. I get why you said it. Are you tired of watching soldiers commit suicide in the military? Tired of watching marriages end? Tired of watching Christians walk away from their faith in God? I'm tired of watching churches Abandon the roots of their faith. My cry does cry out long. How long are you going to tarry? And I know his timing is perfect. And I don't want mine. I want his. But I find my heart aching to be with the king. What's crazy though is. I was talking with my boys not too long ago. And I thought for sure. We were talking kind of about Jesus returning. And I thought for sure you know. They were going to speak up and say the same things I said when I was a kid. Well, I'd like to get married. I'd like to have a family. But it was interesting because Ethan especially said out loud to me, he goes, Dad, I'm ready for Jesus to come back right now too. He's tired of watching those same things with his friends in school. Teenage pregnancies and the drug problems and teens hurting themselves, cutting themselves, doing things to hurt themselves. Tired of watching kids his age, their age, who draw near to God but walk away from their relationship with God because of the pressures of their teen of other teens. And some of you may say, "Well, that's you. You're just giving up." No, no. I just want to be in the presence of the King. You see, the, but as long as God keeps us here. We should still have a heart that desires to draw near to him and know him. The heart that the Pharisees and the scribes didn't have, 
A heart that isn't justifying why we're not repenting of a sin, but a heart that quickly repents and confesses a sin. And a heart that desires to pursue God and walk with him hand in hand every day and to know him intimately, to know his voice. That when the evil one or the world or even our own selfish desires start to speak into our life, we instantly know the deception of those voices and pursue the true voice of our King Jesus Christ. holy heart cries out blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord jesus is the king next week we're going to turn to matthew 24 and if you like reading ahead i'd encourage you to do so but if you do so read ahead and i would like you to do it with with this understanding i want you to set aside the world's that's not fair mindset Matthew has painted a very clear picture up to this point Jesus is king and he is our sovereign king and he is worthy of being worshiped and being declared king so with all authority the king speaks of his coming and he is the righteous holy and just king so read Matthew 24 with that understanding and perspective. Before I pray, just, we talk about this every Sunday, but for those who are visiting, I just want you to understand what we're going to do next. Our kids are going to be coming down here shortly, joining us back again for our time of response. We respond in four different or more ways. Some of you may respond, you may have gotten really convicted this morning that maybe you're dealing with, with a heart that has tried to justify itself by its moral actions instead of leaning into Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning and you've been struggling with, with a heart that is self-righteous and proclaiming your good deeds. Or maybe you've been sitting here struggling this morning with wearing that mask and wearing it around in front of others and, and, and acting like everything is okay when you're broken and you're hurting and you need to confess sin and you need to lean into Jesus and you need others to pray with you this morning. And you need to respond and you need to let God know what's going on in your heart and your life. He already knows, but you need to talk to him about it. So we're going to spend some time singing three songs and we can respond through singing those songs and just standing in it and worshiping God. And if that's what you need to do, great if you need to get on your knees before god great if you need to find a corner and pray great if you need to grab another christian and pray with you fantastic we also have communion set up in the back that as families as, as friends go back take communion together whenever you're ready but communion is for the family of god and so if you're not yet a believer if you're still trying to earn that right standing with god or if you're still trying to figure out who jesus is Listen to the songs of the rings for sung. Watch the reaction of those who are in Jesus Christ to how they are responding and see the truth. See the gospel being lived out before you. Grab somebody next to you and say, this is, this is weird. This is hard to grasp. This free gift stuff is just hard. I've been taught all my life I've got to earn it. This is really hard. And just start and somebody will pray with you. You can also, we're going to be passing around 
our offering buckets this morning to give back. We believe part of our responding is we believe everything we have from God is a gift from him, and we want to give back to him. Not in a legalistic way, but in a way that shows my heart to my God, Lord, I love you, and I'm worshiping you, and I'm worshiping you by, by giving back to you what's rightfully yours. And whatever percentage and whatever, you know what? That's between you and God. But for Christians, that's what we do. We give back to God what is rightly his. But just ask this morning, as you take that time, you can respond through singing, through taking of communion together, through giving of tithes and offerings, or through prayer, or through just talking to someone this morning. That as we sing these songs, and the band team, go ahead and start coming up. As we sing these songs and we spend this time together, respond. Don't let God's word just hit you like a rock hits the side of a metal building and then bounces off. Let the word of God impact you. It's okay. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, I thank you. I thank you so much that you are a God of grace and a God of forgiveness. And that we right here where we're sitting this morning can seek forgiveness from you for living for having hearts that are hardened against you, hearts of sin. And Lord, we know and we confess that sin is gross and we want to be done justifying it. We want to be set free from it. Help us, Lord, because we know it's only possible through you. Lord, thank you for saving us. Father, I pray for all my brothers and sisters and soon-to-be brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ in here. Draw us closer to you, that our hearts would cry out with great shout and great voice, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus, most wonderful, precious, and holy name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit.